Dear church family, this morning our call to worship comes from Psalm 77, verses 11 through 13. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of all thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? We will now turn back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. And we will read the first 22 verses. And the Lord appeared unto him, that's to Abraham, in the plains of Mamre, and he sat, that's Abraham, sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, If now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourself under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. And after that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do, as thou hast said. And Abram hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine flour, meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abram ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door that was behind him. Now Abram and Sarah were old and well-stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. And therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abram, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abram went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abram that which I do? Seeing that Abram shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, and he will command his children and his household after him, And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come Unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abram stood yet before the Lord. So far, the reading of God's holy, 
infallible and instructive word. We will now turn in the the back of our Psalters to the Forum for the Administration of Baptism, which you can find on page 126 in the back of the Psalter. The principal parts of the doctrine of holy baptism are these three. First, that we with our children are conceived and born in sin. And therefore are children of wrath, insomuch that we cannot enter into the kingdom of God, except we are born again. This, the dipping in or sprinkling with water, teaches us whereby the impurity of our souls is signified. And we are admonished to loathe and humble ourselves before God and to seek for our purification and salvation without ourselves. And secondly, holy baptism witnesses and seals unto us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. And therefore we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. For when we are baptized in the name of the Father, God the Father witnesses and seals unto us that he doth make an eternal covenant of grace with us and adopts us for his children and heirs, and therefore will provide us with every good thing, and avert all evil or turn it to our profit. And when we are baptized in the name of the Son, the Son seals unto us that he doth wash us in his blood from all our sin, incorporating us into the fellowship of his death and resurrection, so that we are freed from all our sins and accounted righteous before God. And in like manner, when we are baptized in the name of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost assures us by this holy sacrament that he will dwell in us and sanctify us to be members of Christ, applying unto us that which we have in Christ, namely the washing away of our sins and the daily renewing of our lives, till we shall finally be presented without spot or wrinkle among the assembly of the elect in life eternal. And thirdly, whereas in all covenants there are contained two parts, therefore are we by God, through baptism, admonished and obliged unto new obedience, namely that we cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that we trust in him and love him with all our hearts and with all our souls and with all our mind and with all our strength, and that we forsake the world, crucify our old nature, and walk in a new and holy life. And if we sometimes, through weakness, fall into sin, we must not therefore despair of God's mercy nor continue in sin, since baptism is a seal and undoubted testimony that we have an eternal covenant of grace with God. And although our young children do not understand these things, we may not therefore exclude them from baptism. For as they are without their knowledge partakers of the condemnation in Adam, so are they again received unto grace in Christ. As God speaks unto Abram, the father of all the faithful, and therefore unto us and our children, saying, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Genesis 17, verse 7. This also the apostle Peter testifies with these words, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Acts 2, verse 39. And therefore God formally commanded them to be circumcised, which was a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith. And therefore Christ also embraced them and laid his hands upon them and blessed them. Mark 10. Since then... Baptism is come in the place of, place of circumcision. Therefore, infants are to be baptized as heirs of the kingdom of God and of his covenant, 
And parents are in duty bound further to instruct their children herein when they shall arrive to years of discretion. That, therefore, this holy ordinance of God may be administered to his glory and to our comfort and to the edification of his church, let us call upon his holy name. O Almighty and Eternal God, Thou who hast, according to Thy severe judgment, punished the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood, and hast, according to Thy great mercy, saved and protected believing Noah and his family, Thou who hast drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea, and hast led Thy people Israel through the midst of the sea upon dry ground, by which baptism was signified, we beseech thee that thou wilt be pleased of thine infinite mercy and graciously to look upon these children and incorporate them by thy Holy Spirit into thy Son, Jesus Christ, that they may be buried with him in his death and be raised with him in newness of life, and that they may daily follow him joyfully bearing their cross, cleave unto him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love, that they may with a comfortable sense of thy favor leave this life, which is nothing but a continual death, and at the last day may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ. Thy Son, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with thee and the Holy Ghost one only God lives and reigns forever. Amen. At this time, I ask the parents, those who have children to be baptized, to arise. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have heard that baptism is an ordinance of God to seal unto us and to our seed his covenant. And therefore it must be used for that end, and not out of custom or superstition. That it may be then, that it may then be manifested that you are thus minded, you are to answer sincerely to these questions. First, whether you acknowledge that although our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore are subject to all miseries, yea, to condemnation itself, yet that they are sanctified in Christ and therefore as members of his church ought to be baptized. Secondly, whether you acknowledge the doctrine which is contained in the Old and New Testaments and in the articles of the Christian faith, and which is taught here in this Christian church to be the true and perfect doctrine of salvation. And thirdly, whether you promise and intend to see these children when come to the years of discretion, whereof you are parents, instructed and brought up in the aforesaid doctrine, or to help or cause them to be instructed therein, to the utmost of your power. What is your answer, Mr. and Mrs. Peter and Kate Carlson? What is your answer, Mr. and Mrs. Josh and Monica DeCorn? What is your answer, Mr. and Mrs. Alex and Grace Engelsman? What is your answer, Mr. and Mrs. Martine and Abigail Heiberg? And what is your Answer, Mr. and Mrs. Leo Wu and Leo May. Dear parents, in a few moments we'll have the privilege of, you will have the privilege of seeing water placed, sprinkled onto the, to the foreheads of your children. And a tremendous privilege as the Lord, our covenant God, the triune God, puts his claim on your little ones, saying, these are my children, set apart by him 
and for him. Just as Abram and his household were were set apart by the sacrament of uh, circumcision in the Old Testament, and, our, and Abram was then called to instruct and commanded to, to raise his children in the, in the ways of the Lord. So you this morning are, are called, instructed, commanded by the Lord, our covenant God, to raise these little ones in the fear of God. In January, when we, when I did my first baptism, we, we began looking at the form, um, unpacking it, seeking to learn from it. And as we consider that first section, the first part, we saw how, how deeply fallen our children are. You look at your children, they're beautiful, created in the image of God, and yet they, they bear the mark of Adam and Eve's first sin, they bear the mark of sin all around us. They are sinners in need of grace, in grace and of mercy. And yet the Lord sets them apart and, and gives us in this very sacrament the hope that we and our children can have. For in the second aspect of our, of, as, as we confess in, as we baptize our children that we, we are going to see a, a witness and a seal set before us. This sacrament speaks to the possibility of, of washing, the washing away of sins. And the Lord graciously comes down so low to us with these visible tokens that we can see and understand with a sign and a seal of water. One says they, these signs and seals, they, they, they take what we hear in the gospel, preach to us from weekday or week by week, and they allow us to see it. And so we, we're, we're witnesses of the gospel this morning, not only hearing it, but seeing it. And it directs our attention to something, namely that uh, just as water washes away the filth of our bodies. So this water, which points us to the blood of Jesus Christ, is able to wash away your sins, but also your children's sins. It points to the possibility of cleansing. And it directs our attention to the blood of Jesus. But it's not just a sign that we can look to, but it is also a seal And it assures us, a seal assures us, or it stamps something, guarantees something. It assures us that when we place our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, His blood thoroughly cleanses from all sin. And so parents, when you're in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are washed and cleansed from all your sins. But when your dear children, God willing, put their trust in, confess their sins, and believe on Him, they too can be washed from sin. And so you're called, parents, as you raise these children in the fear of the Lord, to to direct their attention every time the sacrament is held, to say, Dear one, this water was placed on your forehead. You too have this sign on you. You too can be washed and cleansed in the blood of Christ from all of your sin. And so take the time when the sacrament is administered to speak into the hearts and lives of your children. And dear, dear congregation, dear church family, Many of you are sitting with children with you. Take the time this afternoon to reflect on their baptism, saying that water was placed on your forehead. The Lord promises that when we believe in Jesus, when we trust in him, we too will be washed and cleansed from our sins. Not because of who we are or because we were raised up in a church or in a godly family, but because of who 
the Lord is. And dear believers, this morning in our midst, the Lord Jesus comes to us again, and, and as we see that water sprinkled, we are reminded that Jesus shed his blood, poured out his blood so that sinners like you and I can be cleansed of all our sins, even, even when we continue to sin so often. And he calls us to come time and time again for cleansing. Benjamin John, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Anna Emmeline, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Lorraine Seneva, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. August Bart, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Jesse, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We'll now turn conclude with prayer and move into our congregational prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God and merciful Father, we thank and praise Thee that Thou hast forgiven us and our children all of our sins through the blood of the beloved of Thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ and received us through thy Holy Spirit as members of thine only begotten Son, adopted us to be thy children, and sealed and confirmed the same unto us by holy baptism. We beseech thee through the same Son of thy love, that thou wilt be pleased always to govern these baptized children by thy Holy Spirit, that they may be piously and religiously educated Increase and grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they may acknowledge thy fatherly goodness and mercy, which thou hast shown to them and us, and live in all righteousness under our only teacher, King and High Priest, Jesus Christ, and manfully fight against and overcome sin, the devil and his whole dominion, to the end that we may eternally praise and magnify thee and thy Son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Ghost, the the one only true God. Dear church family, we, like Abraham, live in a world that, and are surrounded by a world that by nature hates God, his word, his ways, his people, that attempts to allure the, the people of God into so-called attractions or empty promises of fulfillment. And a, a world that becomes actually very hostile when her ways are challenged. Ways that are bringing on the judgment of God. Now it's easy to look outside of us, around the world that we live in, at it, and see this. And it's easy sometimes to have a us-versus-them mentality. But if we're honest with ourselves, the same heart that exists in the world towards of enmity against God is found in each one of us. 
By nature, we too hate God. We too are prone to all manner of wickedness. We too are prone to give ourselves over to the lusts of our flesh. And therefore, the gospel, the good news that comes to us this morning and week after week is a, is a message that not only we need to hear, but the world around us needs to hear. It's a message that calls sinners out of darkness into marvelous light. A message that calls sinners and sets apart sinners to serve him, to serve the Lord, to love him, and to live for him. Not separated from the world like hermits, isolating ourselves, but set apart so that we will walk lives that are We trust, by God's grace, living examples of the gospel for all to see. For our children, for our neighbors, for the people we work with, the people we interact on so many different levels. Whether that's as individuals, where we're called to demonstrate the same grace and mercy that God has bestowed upon sinners like us, to exemplify that through the fruits of the Spirit to those around us. Or whether it's in our marriages. Marriages that the, the gospel, the, the Apostle Paul, for example, in Ephesians 5, says is a picture of Christ's love for his church and the church's love back for Christ. Or, or our families, which are called to be pictures of, of little churches, where fathers and mothers lead their homes in ways that are pleasing to the Lord, that demonstrate the love of God in Christ to our children, to each other. Homes that we trust are filled with grace and mercy towards towards our children. When we fail, when we sin, lives and families that point out sin, but call and call one another to repentance and faith. It's this kind of life that God calls his covenant people to, as he sets them apart to serve him, to love him, and to live for him. And we hope to see this from the passage that, we, that we've read from, and particularly focusing in on our text from Genesis 18, verse 19. Genesis 18, verse 19, where the Lord is speaking and he says, For I know him, that's Abraham, and he will command his children and his household after them, after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. As we consider this text in, in its context of Genesis 18 and the first part of Genesis, we want to take note that it is only because of God's grace and mercy, his covenant grace and mercy, that he has set apart sinful human beings like each one of us are to live in covenant with him. A covenant that is grounded in the Lord's eternal and ever-present knowledge of his people. A covenant that that calls his people to live in faith-filled obedience. A covenant that is sure because of who our God is. Because he is one who keeps covenant and fulfills the promise, his own promises of blessing, not only to his covenant people, but often extending beyond, as in Abraham's case, to the nations that surrounded him. And so we hope to consider this morning the theme, keeping covenant, rooted in a relationship with Yahweh, realized through faith-filled obedience, and rewarded on account of the Lord's, 
or Yahweh's faithful word. Earlier this year, we began a series where we began considering the names of God. And if you remember, we we were introduced to the the covenant name of the Lord, Yahweh, from Genesis chapter 2. In that chapter, we know we have the second account, a retelling of the creation of man. Humanity, ones that were created in the image of God. And God introduced this covenant name, Yahweh, in, in our English Bibles, often translated as Lord in all capital letters. Introduce us to this name in connection with the creation of humanity. It was the Lord's desire to have relationship with the one that he created in his own image. Desire to have fellowship and communion with his image bearers. But children, you know, it's only a chapter later that we read of that fall. A fall into sin in our first parents, Adam and Eve where they failed to keep covenant, to keep relationship. And they brought sin into this world, into, into, into all of our lives. And we have sinned with our first parents, Adam and Eve. Sin that has brought havoc, death, destruction in our lives and in, and in this world. Sin that has brought wickedness. Wickedness that the Lord himself saw and it grieved the Lord. As we read, for instance, in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Sin and wickedness came because of our disobedience, our failure to desire to love the Lord and to live for him. Sin and wickedness that the Lord could not and will not overlook. Sin and wickedness that must be dealt with. And we know that As the Lord saw that first world prior to the flood, he said that he was going to destroy the world because of man's sin. But it's also in the context of that destruction that we are directed by Moses to the reality that follows in verse 8 of chapter 6. Immediately after God's promise to destroy this world, we read these beautiful words of hope. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In grace and mercy, the Lord came and continued to set apart people to serve him, to love him, and to live for him. And Abram also was one of these trophies of God's amazing grace as, as the Lord called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, called him from his, his idolatry, his worship of false gods to serve the one true and living God. And we, we read Abram's obedience as he, as he heeded the Lord's call and he left Ur and traveled to a place that he did not know. By faith he went. And began living in covenant with the Lord. As the Lord covenanted with him again and again, repeating the promises to him. Promises that we were reminded of in this chapter, in verse 18. The Lord says, seeing that Abram shall surely become a great and a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now these words that the Lord spoke in verse 18 were part of the Lord's question to his fellow travelers. The Lord had come with two others, angels, 
had come and met Abram at his house. Abram had invited them in for refreshments, for food and drink. But this was, a, this was an intentional visit on the Lord's part to the home of Abram. The Lord was on, the Lord was intentionally visiting this one he had called out to inform him of two things of the fulfillment of one of the promises that he would have a son, even in seeming impossibility, but also of a mission to tell Abram of the coming judgment that was going to come in the midst of that land on Sodom and Gomorrah. He says to, he says to as he gets up to leave from dinner, He says to the men that were with him in the hearing of Abraham, shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I, which I do? The Lord was about to bring judgment on these two wicked cities. Cities that, whose wickedness we see in verse 20 was very great, was grievous again in the sight of the Lord. But it was also the Lord who had promised that Abram would be, would be a blessing to those nations around him. And so he incorporates Abram into this knowledge. Because it was going to be through Abram, it was going to be through the seed of Abram, through the seed, that the Lord would bless the nations. So it's in this context of God's mission of judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah that Abram is reminded and we too with Abram are reminded that God had called him and he has called us dear church family to set us apart for himself to keep covenant to be the very means by which the Lord would bring out the fulfillment of his promises even in the midst of a dark and a sinful world. So in the first place, as we look at what it means to keep covenant with the Lord, we are reminded and we must recognize first and foremost that it is the Lord who establishes covenant with sinners like you and me. We read in verse 19 at the beginning, for I, and remember this is the Lord, our covenant God speaking, for I know him. It could be translated as, for I have known him, or could also be translated as, I have chosen him. Literally, it's the verb to know. But the question is, what does it mean here for the Lord to know Abram? Children, we know that the Lord knows everything. He knows everything that's going on in this world. He knows all that's taking place today, tomorrow, and the future, all that has ever taken place. He knows everything about us. But I think there's more than that knowledge here. I know him. And certainly all that is included but it has, it's used in the context of covenant. And Abram, the Lord is saying to Abram that he was one who had been set apart. He was one that had been chosen by the Lord. He is one that the Lord had taken special notice of, paid special attention to. Amos uses this same phrase in Amos 3 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. This knowing speaks of God's intimate and covenantal knowledge, relationship that he has with his people. It's the knowledge of a friend. And James, in chapter 2, verse 23, speaks of it like this, Abram was the friend of God. Which brings a question to each of us. Does the Lord know you 
in this way. Could it be said of the Lord about you? I know him. I know her. I have chosen this one to live in covenant with me. I have chosen this one to live in faith-filled obedience to my covenant commands. I have chosen this one so that they too would keep covenant through my strength and my help. Are you chosen? Known by the Lord. Not because of who you are or what you've done, what family you've grown up, whether you've come to church all your life, but because of who the Lord is. Because of His electing love in Christ Jesus. Does the Lord have an intimate relationship, knowledge of you? Does he know the thoughts and the intents, the desires of your heart? Parents, as you've brought your children to be baptized, does the Lord know why you did this today? Was it, we trust it wasn't, out of tradition or superstition? We trust it was out of recognition that the Lord has called you, chosen you, knows all about you, and desires you to raise these covenant gifts that he has given to you in the fear of his name. And this isn't just for our parents that were baptizing this morning, but for all of us. Are we keeping covenant? If we've been brought up, had the triune name of God placed on our foreheads. Yes, recognizing that you and I cannot do it on our own. But it's only because of the Lord who has an intimate knowledge of his people that has been set apart. But maybe you're asking, well, what does it mean to keep, keep covenant? Well, the Lord draws our attention in the next part of our verse to, to what he sees Abraham doing. The Lord says, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after them, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. The Lord, who knew Abraham intimately, knew that Abraham would also command his children and his household. He knows of Abraham's desires. He knows of his heart, his longing to live in faith-filled obedience to what the Lord was calling him to. And this is going to be worked out. His desire to keep covenant, what the Lord said he would do, would be worked out in faith-filled obedience by teaching and instructing his children and his household. He will command. He will charge. He will instruct. He will do all that is within his power to cause his children and his household to walk in the ways of the Lord, to know the ways of the Lord. This wasn't just instruction, parents, that took place here and there whenever it was convenient, but this was a way of life. It was ongoing, it was intentional, it was purposeful instruction that Abram was causing his children, his household to, to be instructed in. This was instruction that was demonstrated and spoken in words into the lives of his children and household, but it was also lived out in action. Abram lived out what he taught. And parents, as we have promised to instruct our children or cause them to be instructed in the ways of the Lord, 
We too must commit ourselves, like Abraham, to command, to charge, to to lead our families in his ways. And this requires intentionality and purpose, for there are many distractions that come along the way that will impede or heed, uh, uh, slow down or stop, distract us from this task. But it's not. But it all. But it must also be not just with our words. It must be lived out before our children. Our lives must reflect what we are teaching. For if they don't, we send mixed messages to our children. We confuse them. And yes, we we acknowledge parents. We fail. We come short. We, we miss the mark in this on so many occasions. But when we make a mistake, when we sin, maybe we get angry, maybe we don't do what we are called to, do we, do we acknowledge our sin? Confess it. And even in that process, demonstrate what it is to, to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do they see in our lives what it looks like tangibly to repent and to confess sin, to believe the gospel? And this instruction must be consistent and it must be often. As a father, be diligent in leading your families. Be diligent in leading your families in family worship in reading, discussing, praying over your children, singing with your families. Use the various means, age-appropriate means, to, to instruct your children. Be creative and flexible, particularly as your children get older and your households get busier and they may not be all together at one point to reach your children from the youngest to the oldest. Bring your children time and again to the Word of God. Instill in them a love for the Lord. Teach them to love His Word. Help them to see that the Word ought to be central for all of life and that it is to be central. Teach them to think biblically and critically. Help them to become discerning men and women who are able to take the biblical principles of Scripture and apply it into the, into the context that we live in this, in this world, in, in every area of our life. Let, let the instruction that they receive at home and at the church and in their education, their schooling, be consistent with, with each other. Know what your children are taking in as well, particularly in our day and age with the various social media platforms that are so accessible. Know what they're taking in on their devices. Teach them how to use in ways that are pleasing to the Lord, that bring glory to his name. Abram commanded his children and his household. He instructed, he charged them in the ways of the Lord. So we not only see how he did it, what he, but also with what and what the content of his message was, of his instruction. The Lord said that Abram commanded his children that they would keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. He says, they shall keep, they shall observe, they shall give heed to. In order for our children to keep, to give heed to, to observe, the way of the Lord, they need to know what the way of the Lord is. 
the way of the Lord could here refer to the acts of the Lord, the works of the Lord, his ways. Or it could refer to the ways of the Lord that he, that he desires his people to walk in. I think it's particularly the latter that Abram, or that the Lord is referring to in this particular context. But both are inseparable in many ways. For one cannot live in the ways of the Lord without knowing first who the Lord is and what he has done for sinners like us. He is the God of justice and judgment or the God of righteousness and justice. And we see this particularly in the way that he deals with sin and sinners. And so as we teach our children in the ways of the Lord, we first and foremost direct their attention to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. For, for in him we see the righteousness of God and we see the justice of God being done. For God was not willing or able to overlook the sin of his people, but he sent his beloved son into this world to bear the wrath of God against sin. He sent his beloved son to be that perfect substitute, our only mediator, so that he would bear the wrath of God against sin, the sin of all of his people. But he not only came to bear the wrath of God, he came into this world to live a perfect life. The life that we could not live, that your children cannot live in and of themselves. And he died so that he could take on him the sins of his people and impute to his people his righteousness. And he did this for all who placed their trust and hope in him. And so parents were called to, in the first place, direct our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the way. We're called to keep, to observe, to, to take heed of how the Lord has provided this only way of salvation for sinners like you and I. To take heed to how the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect substitute for a sinner like you and me. To take heed to how Jesus suffered and died for sinners. So that he could wash them with his blood. To take heed to the perfect life of Jesus. Whose righteousness can become ours when we believe in him. To take heed to the necessity to repent of our sin and to to confess it, to sorrow, to grieve over our sin. To own it as ours. And to lay it before the Lord. To take heed how the Lord calls us, commands us to believe on Him. To trust Him. To rest in His finished work knowing that there is forgiveness of sins to be found in Him alone. He calls us to take heed, to keep His way. But this also includes how we ought to live before Him. When we're in Christ Jesus, we are now called to live in his ways, in light of what he has done for sinners, to live lives of thankfulness and with faith-filled obedience, ways that are pleasing to him, ways that the Lord here describes as to do justice and judgment, or to do righteous, to do what is right or just. These are ways that reflect the Lord's righteous and just ways. These are ways that reflect His law that have been given as a guide for holy and thankful living. They reflect ways of those who love the Lord and desire to live for Him. And so we instruct our children, we bring them to the Word, and we say, this is how the Lord calls us to live. 
applying the Scriptures to every area of life. And such instruction is just not a list, creating a list of do's and don'ts for our children. But it's an instruction that addresses the heart, that demonstrates that such a life can only be lived when, when one's heart is right with the Lord. For it is only when we are in relationship with Him that we can and do desire to live in this, in this way. For it is the way of the, it is, it is in relationship with the Lord that there becomes a foundation or a framework for holy living that that goes beyond just outward conformity. Oh yes, we teach our children what it is to do it. We call them to live in this way, but as we call them, we address, call them to believe as well. John Calvin writes, for someone, for someone could be careful, rather careful, to give many rules and many laws without providing stability. There can be no foundation to build on unless God dominates and people obey him and conform to his word. God must dominate our lives from the inside and out. He must dominate our hearts, our minds, every area of life. So fathers, as you seek to instill in your children what it is to do justly and to love mercy, we begin by addressing the heart regularly and often, and not just outward actions. Outward actions are often a manifestation of what's going on in the heart, And so when our children sin, when they're disobedient, it's a reflection often of the heart. And yes, we call them to obedience, but we call them to faith and repentance as well. Brothers, this means as we lead our families, we first and foremost need to know the Lord. We need to let the Word of God be foundational for ourselves as we lead our families. Calvin, Calvin said this to fathers, you must establish your lesson in His Word so that you will not only try to govern yourselves in accordance with His will, but that you will also bring it to the same time, at the same time, to those who are under your authority and guidance. We're called to instruct our families. We're called to lead this flock, brothers of the, of the consistory, in ways that will, in, in his ways, the Lord's ways, so that we will keep, keep his ways and to do that which is right and just. In a sense, the Lord was teaching Abram what this was going to look like. Moments earlier, he had, he had called Abram and said, where is Sarah, thy wife? She was in the tent. She heard that call. And he directed Abram and Sarah to the fact that the promised seed was coming. They would have a son well beyond childbearing years. They were. But the seed was coming. And in pointing them to the coming seed of Isaac, the Lord was also pointing to, pointing them to the seed that would come to the promised seed, his son. But the Lord was also instructing Abram, giving him a real sense of what it was like when, what happens when we fail to live in the ways that the Lord calls us to. It brings the justice of God. And so in a sense, the Lord is saying to Abraham, here, it, here is what it looks like to keep my ways, to do justice and judgment. First, it is to look to the promised seed that's coming, but also to hate that which grieves me. 
because justice and judgment will come. And in keeping his ways, the Lord then says that there will be blessing. There will be blessing that will come. It will come upon the people of God that comes to them not because of what they have done or how well they have lived or how well they have instructed or commanded their children in the fear of the Lord, but it becomes it comes because of who the Lord is. For I know him, the Lord said, that the Lord may bring upon him, Abraham, that which was spoken of him. These covenant blessings of the Lord would come to Abram because of who the Lord was and is. Not because of how faithful Abram was. We know Abram failed again and again. Not because of how faithful his instruction was, but because of who the Lord is. And parents, let this be your encouragement this morning. The promises of the covenant are not going to rest in what you've done or how well you've raised your children in the fear of the Lord. How skilled you are in instructing your children. How often you've prayed for them. Read with them. Taught them. But the blessings that come, the covenant blessings come because of who our God is. They come because he delights to keep covenant, even for unfaithful people. And so parents plead these covenant promises for you and your children regularly. Bring the, these promises back to the Lord. Remind him of what he has said And rest, rest in the finished work of Christ, the promised seed of the covenant. But be diligent, be diligent in keeping covenant, trusting that the Lord will do what he has promised to do. James Dixon, commenting on this verse, says, Teaching one's household the way of God may seem a small thing, and doesn't win great rewards or praise for us on this earth. But it is extremely important in the mind of God. It is part of being the friend of God. And if you're a friend of God, known by Him, it will be your delight to keep covenant with Him, to instruct your children and your household so that they too will keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. And in God's grace and mercy, we trust that our children too will know the bounty of his covenant blessing. Come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our, which is our prayer for each of us and our children. Amen. Lord, our faithful, covenant-keeping God. Lord, we are thankful that Thou art the one who knows Thy people, intimately aware of who they are and desirous of a relationship with them. Father, I do pray for each parent here, each who have whether this morning or in times past, brought children to be baptized, to be incorporated into covenant with, the, with our God. Lord, I do pray that each of them would be given grace and help and strength to persevere in their high calling to keep covenant, to heed their covenant obligations, recognizing that The blessings of the Lord flow because of who he is. 
not because of our abilities or our perseverance. Lord, I do pray for those who maybe have never known the Lord, who are still apart from him, living for themselves, maybe even among our, our children, our young people, or maybe, maybe those of those who have children who are older and who have strayed and who have gone off, forsaking that name that was placed on their foreheads. Lord, remember thy covenant name and draw them back, incorporate them into a relationship with thee. Lord, save the wanderer, find the lost, and bring them home. Be with us in the rest of this day. We pray that we would keep thy day holy, that we would love thee and serve thee in every area of our life. We pray this in the sovereign and the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.